So we've been, uh, we've been talking about these, these one another's, right? The one another's that are in the Bible. We've been walking through that. And, and I'll tell you, for me, one of the coolest things I get to do it, it, as, as a pastor is um, do weddings, marry, marry folks. And uh, I always tell them, I'm like, listen, the day is a day, whoop-de-doo, it's an event. I'm more concerned with the marriage. I want to invest in the marriage. So when we do that, we do some premarital counseling. And uh, one of the things that I always tell people in, in premarital counseling is, well, one of many things, but, but one of the things that I tell them is after, as long as I've been married, 23 years, I can not really be for certain to tell you what to do. But I can pretty much give you a list of what not to do, okay? I, I, I don't, and, and, and it's a laundry list, right? The don't do's of, of marriage. And um, so today, you know, we've been walking through these one another's. We've been t- talking about what to do, you know, love one another, accept one another. Bear one another's burdens. Serve one another. Last week, started getting in your grits a little bit. Forgive one another. Well, today we're going to talk about what not to do to one another. The don't do. Don't. Wait for it. If you've got your copies of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Romans 14. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13. And in honor of the reading of God's word, would you please stand with me? It'll be on the screen there. Romans 10, uh, Romans 14, starting in verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. You may be seated, and may God bless the reading of his word. Have you ever met someone? Have you ever worked with someone that was very good at a job that also spent a lot of time doing something other than that job? You think about it. They've got the skill set to do one job, but where they focus and spend most of the time is doing the job that they're not good at or doing somebody else's job. If we call ourselves Christians, what is our job? It's this, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go and make disciples. 
I don't know how to make it any clearer. Somebody else, his name is God, has the job of being the judge. How do I know this? 2 Timothy 4.1, And I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. If our job is to make disciples, we must focus on it. And only that. And do everything we can to get better every day doing that job. So, Neil, thank you for that introduction. Thank you for telling me what I don't need to do. Now tell me what I need to do. First, if I'm going to not judge one another, I must exercise loving discernment. I just need to break this down for you. Exercise. Not a fan, okay? I don't really like it. If you said, hey, Neil, you could do a thousand other things or exercise, give me the list of the thousand other things you need me to do. We must exercise loving discernment. Look at Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Uh, as an example, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. This is Paul writing to the church at, at Philippi, and he's, 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 he's literally praying for them and giving them a charge and a challenge. He's, re- he's remembering these friends, these dear friends of his. He's, he's, he's literally praying for them, over them. And it's, it's a prayer of maturity. And you think, okay, what, what, the first thing it begins with is love. Paul prayed that they might experience abounding love and discerning love. Warren Wearsby says this, Christian love is not blind. The heart and mind work together so that we have discerning love and loving discernment. It's like this. Paul wants his friends to grow in discernment and being able to distinguish the things that differ. Understand what's different about Situations, Because the ability to distinguish and discern is a mark of maturity. If I want to continue to walk and talk and act and be like Jesus, I must have the ability to distinguish and discern. It's a mark of maturity. Think about it like this. When a baby learns to speak and they use that and they, and they, and, and they say they see a, a, a dog and they call a dog, they call it a bow wow. Well, they're just learning to talk. They're babies, okay? So then they see something else that's a four-legged animal. Well, it's a bow-wow too. If it's a cow, it's a cat, whatever. If it's got four legs, it's a bow-wow. But as they mature and as they get older and as they get wiser, get more knowledge, then guess what? They're able to discern, they're able to distinguish the dog from the cow, from the cat, from the horse, It's not just a four-legged animal. They're able to distinguish which four-legged animal it is. Babies, they see a car. 
All they see is a car. As they mature and get to those ages of teenage years where they understand that one day they're going to get to drive one of those cars, they know it's a SUV truck, what color, what paint scheme, what tires, what wheels, what motor, how many cylinders, and everything all under the sun because they have gone, they've grown in wisdom and maturity and knowledge, and they've cared. They've loved it. But in addition to love, Paul's also praying that this church at Philippi might have mature Christian character. Mature Christian character that's genuine and sincere. The Greek word for sincere, it may have several meanings. One of them is tested by sunlight. The sincere Christian is not afraid to stand in the light. Another meaning is to whirl in a sieve. In both of these instances, it is the same. The message is the same. Paul prayed that his friends would have and model the kind of character that can pass the test. Cut the mustard, so to speak. Paul prayed for them to have mature Christian love and character. And that sure mark of maturity is discerning love. But again, Neil, I'm still wondering, how do I have this loving discernment? If I'm, if I'm exercising, if I'm doing this, what you're telling me to do, how do I have it? How do I have loving discernment? It's a simple two-question personal inventories, things to ask yourself. They're not on the screen or anywhere else, so you may want to get a pen, write it down, these two questions to ask yourself, how do I have loving discernment in my life? Two questions to ask myself. One thing is, will it make others stumble? If I'm going to have loving discernment in my life, will the choices I make point others to Jesus or deflect, repel them from who he is, from wanting anything to do with Jesus? Will what I do cause others to stumble? That's the first question to ask yourself. Second question, will I be ashamed if Jesus should return? Are the choices and the things that I'm doing right now today, if Jesus were to show up, would I be ashamed? If I'm going to have loving discernment, if I'm going to exercise that loving discernment with the world around me, are the things that I'm doing causing others to stumble, and will I be ashamed if Jesus should return? What am I doing with the gospel? The gospel that was given to me, what am I doing with it? Am I pointing other people to Jesus by the way I act and the way I talk? Paul also prayed they would have mature Christian service. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul was not interested in church activities, but in the kind of spiritual fruit that is produced when we are in fellowship with Jesus Christ. That they would be filled and fruitful, filled and fruitful. John 15, four and five says this, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As we abide in the Father, as we spend time linked with Jesus Christ, the byproduct, the natural byproduct is 
fruit. If you call yourself a Christian and, you're not, and there's not, no fruit around you, I'm just saying, you're not doing your job. Now, it may sound harsh and insensitive or whatever, but again, it is what it is. But just like the fruit of the tree does not puff his chest out and say, look at me and all the fruit that I have made and celebrate me. Look at, look at me. I'm a great tree. Look at all the fruit I've made. Nope. He just continues to stay in the good soil and continue to make fruit. It's natural. In the Sermon on the Mount, Lord Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6, do not give dogs what's holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. If we have, if I'm going to exercise If I'm going to exercise discernment, I have to know who's a swine, who's the dogs, who's the sheep. We're not to distribute the treasures of grace of God indiscriminately. We must exercise discernment. But there's a kicker here. Discernment, if we're not careful, can turn into a judgmental attitude. In trying to be true to God, we may get so critical, so judgmental, so condemning that nothing is right except what we do. Nothing is good except what we like. So we must exercise discernment. As we are exercising this loving discernment, we must love like Jesus We must act like Jesus. We must abide in Jesus so we can serve like Jesus. But then we must experience self-awareness. Self-awareness. That that head on a swivel. In the Bible, we're not told that it's wrong to help a brother by pointing out his weaknesses. We're told that that we must start by examining ourselves. Matthew 7, 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. And if we stop right there, we could say, See, it's wrong. It's wrong to judge. But wait, the rest of the passage, verse 2 says this, For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. In other words, you get back what you give. If you're going to be critical of other people, they're going to in turn be critical of you. If you're going to be judgmental and critical and fault-finding in turn, they will be judgmental and critical and fault-finding of you. And put that microscope precisely on you. But we must start with ourselves. Anybody ever been quick to judge and slow to, uh, slow to receive it? What do you mean, Neil? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm quick to judge. Wha-bam, hammer. But if somebody ever is quick to judge me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to need grace and mercy and second chances and please, 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 I need another chance. 
I don't want the same. No, no. Verses 3 and 4 says this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? I had a piece of like sand or something got in my eye one time. And it was when I had contacts. And so if I took my contacts out, it's like <laughs> Helen Keller up in here. Um, it was bad. I was running into stuff. It was awful. I'm, this was pretty lacy. Um, so I had to take my contacts out. I had to be without my contacts. And I go to the doctor and, and the eye doctor and think about this. What if that doctor, in all his training, in all his wisdom, in all the times he's pulled specks out of other people's eye, his fancy instruments, bright lights, and the whole nine yards, he comes at my eye to get the thing out, but he's blindfolded. Do I want him working on my eye? Do I want him coming at my eye with sharp things and everything and not be able to see what he's doing? No, that's what they're talking about here. That's, what, that's, what, that's the story here. We must first handle the log in our own eye before we ever go trying to do surgery on our friend's eyes. Basically, the message here is we must start with self-awareness. By all means, help your brother. But start with yourself. Verse 5, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly the speck in your brother's eye. So we have to have discernment. We have to have responsibility of helping our brother, but we must begin with ourselves. Examine our own lives things we need to deal with. We need discernment, but we also need self-awareness. Self-awareness. There's a parallel passage here in Luke 6, 37 and 38. says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Good measure, running over, pressed down, running over, spilling over. Not only will God judge us in the end, but people are judging us now, and we receive exactly what we give. The kind of judgment and the measure judgment comes right back to us. We reap what we are sown. We must exercise loving discernment. We must experience self-awareness. And if we're doing these things, we must also extend God's grace. Jesus is Lord. Now our Lord may want us to help a brother, but he alone is Lord. We're not to play God in the lives of others. As, as, as we say at my house a lot, I, we don't, our job is to not be Holy Spirit Junior. Okay? I don't need to be Holy Spirit Junior. Romans 14, 9 and 10, for to this Christ, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment 
on your brother. Jesus talked about the weak Christians who were judging strong Christians. Verse 10. Um, verse 10, why do you pass that judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. You know, so many times as a pastor, you get that conversation, somebody coming up to you and saying, you know, pastor, the Lord's shown me this and I need to tell you this. Are you, oh, all right. Lord, so many times, are we walking with Jesus? Are we meeting with Jesus? Here's the thing we must remember. Jesus is Lord. I must never take the place of Jesus in anyone's life. I cannot do it. If I'm going to pass judgment on you, I must first come to the Lord and let him be the Lord of my life. Let him be the judge. If, you, if, if, if I am to deal with my brother, God, you give me wisdom and you show me. You give me the words to say. If I do it myself, I'm certainly going to fail, fall into sin, and I'm going to cause trouble. The easiest way to say this, we must, by definition, have a priority. What's a priority, Neil? A priority, by definition, is defined as something or someone that is more urgent or important than any other thing. Meaning, you can't have priorities. We must have a priority. What is my priority? How do I identify and deal with what's important? A couple weeks ago, we talked about the things that are essential and non-essential. What's important and not important. Let's not major on the minors. Let's don't make mountains out of molehills. What is important? What are the things that are important? Romans 14, 14 and 15 in the NIV says, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for a person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Paul's reminding us, strongly reminding us, to have a priority. To make the main thing the main thing. The main thing the main thing. You may have heard the story. Farmer's out. He's plowing his field, and uh, and he's 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 got everything lined up, and 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 everything's growing, and it looks healthy, and every, his, his 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 field looks lush, and all the vegetables and whatever fruit and all the things that are in his field look great. Well, all of a sudden he's halfway through, and he's like, "Man, this looks this looks amazing," and a mouse runs across, and he's like, "I'm gonna get that mouse." That mouse is not going to mess with my vegetables. So he gets his hand tool, and he starts whacking, trying to get that mouse. And he's chasing that mouse all and in and around and over and up and down and all around the field. Finally, whack, he gets the mouse. 
And he looks back. And all that nice field that he had is completely whacked and demolished and mutilated. At what cost? At what cost? Field ruined. Distraction wins. See, we must have priority. The one thing that we're focusing on that supersedes everything else and understanding that we have a job to do and we need to do it. Some things are more important than others. Things that can disrupt fellowship, not important. Destroying a Sunday school class, a life group, over which translation of the Bible to read? Nope. Destroy a church over what kind of music to allow? Not worth it. We must do the job we've been given. The entire premise of Romans 14 and 15, the beginning of 15, is Paul teaching on what to do when Christians disagree. Guess what? We're not going to all think the same way, feel the same way, agree on the same things. And it's okay. You ever wonder why the Bible says the same things over and over again? Do not judge, do not judge, do not judge, do not judge. Repetition leads to retention. You've heard me say that. The more we say things over and over again, hopefully, eventually, one day, it'll stick. Romans 15, 1 and 2 says this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please Ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Notice how it says, for his good. We do not always please our children because some things they want are not for their good. Right? Correct. But as much as possible, the strong Christians who are walking in freedom of God ought to please the weak Christians so we can lovingly help them grow. Parents, we've done this. Adjust our schedule because of the baby. We adjust our plan to the schooling of the children. We have to adjust our weaknesses to the living of our family. It's the only way we're ever going to grow up. So the strong Christian in fellowship, walking with Jesus, has to consider the weak Christian and not simply please themselves. It's wrong to exercise judgment. I'm sorry. It is not wrong to exercise judgment. It's wrong to be judgmental. It's not wrong to have discernment how we need it. It's wrong to think we are the only ones who are right. We must remember that Jesus Christ is Lord and his lordship in our lives and of our lives solves so many problems. So let's forsake the judgmental attitude, help our brother by being loving and tender and kind and patient so that we may seek as much as possible to help our brothers grow. That's our, that's our purpose. That's our plan. That's our job. Point other people to Jesus. Help them grow. Disciple them. Let's be about making disciples that make disciple makers. Would you bow your heads with me?
You know, so many times we look at the we look at the Bible as a as a rule book with all these things. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. But I'm a how-to guy. How do I not do this? We've got to put these checks in our life, these, these self-inventory questions. Is what I'm doing causing someone to stumble? Is what I'm doing causing someone to stumble? And would I be ashamed if Jesus walked in right now? These are questions you can answer for yourself. I can't answer them for you. I can only answer them for me. But maybe, just maybe this morning, God has said something to you. God has spoken to your heart. Hey, Neil, I'm, I'm not doing all that I can be doing for the kingdom. I'm not pointing other people to Jesus. I'm not stepping out of my comfort zone and, and going on a prayer walk to pray over our city. It's okay. Let today be the day that you do those things. Let today be the day that you prioritize your relationship with Jesus. Let today be the day that you put him first and only, and you make him the priority. I'm going to have my brother, Pastor David Cagle, up here in the front. If you need somebody to pray with you, He would gladly do that. If you need to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ today, come see him. If you need to just get it right, come see him. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, today, Lord, let us be a people that have decided of what we're not going to do. Of God, that we've decided what our job is and what your job is. God, that we've said, hey, my job is to make disciples and make disciple makers. Your job is to save people. Your job is to judge people. And I'm not going to do your job. God, I've tried to do your job and it's not fun and it's hard. Lord, we love you.